What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the confines of a moderately priced hotel room in Rochester, New York, this is Obscure Season 3 Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, coming at you with apologies and explanations. This episode is not going to feature the book Wuthering Heights uh, because... Uh, because Robin, my intrepid producer and editor, is away. And I thought last week she was going to be away, which is why we didn't have an episode last week. But she said, no, it's this week she's going to be away. And so rather than uh, put up just raw audio of me reading... Wuthering Heights, without the musical interludes, without the wonderful sound effects, without the streamlined production we have come to expect from Obscure. I thought better just to throw up an episode of checking in, of, uh, of, of present account taking, just to see where we all are. You know, and then we'll be, and then we will resume the book next week, or possibly even before, if I can manage to double up on episodes and and get one out earlier. Although I doubt it, because Robin uh, is probably going to be inundated with her own work. And let's be honest, how am I gonna, how am I gonna possibly crank out? Extra episodes of Wuthering Heights. So this will just have to do as a kind of tide-me-over, as a kind of uh, palate cleanser, an audio sorbet, a little bit of um, taste-making. Well, or maybe taste-unmaking, or maybe just taste 
well, cleansing, I guess, as I report to you on all things. I'm in Rochester, New York, as I said, former home of Kodak Eastman or Eastman Kodak. Uh, I think it's Eastman Kodak. Eastman Kodak? I think it's Eastman Kodak. You know, the big film company. And you know, as you drive into, into Rochester, you can see out your window the factory, the Kodak factory, where all the camera stuff was made for years and years. And maybe they still have a presence here. I'm not sure. But if they do, it's considerably reduced from what it once was. The way it was explained to me as to what happened with Kodak, and this comes from the club owner as he was escorting me into town. He said in the 90s, Fuji started experimenting with uh, digital. You know, they were thinking about doing some digital cameras. And Kodak said to themselves, great, now we'll have the film market all to ourselves. You see, you see what happened there? A lack of forward thinking on the part of the Kodak Corporation. And as a result, the city of Rochester, in the ensuing years and decades, was just decimated because Kodak was their major employer. I mean, this was a Kodak kind of town. And here in western New York which I think is where I am, uh, you know, times have not been kind to the cities in this environment, your Rochesters and Buffaloes and Uticas and Oneidas and all those towns scattered across New York State, like so many beans in a, in a field. They haven't really sprouted in quite a while. Uh, you know, it's one of these proud little cities that we have in America. Lots of them. We see them a lot in the Midwest. Everywhere, I guess. These proud little cities that just refuse to give up. And that's a good thing, you know. Uh, Rochester seems like it's doing okay as we drive around. I mean, sure, there's the decrepit mall that they're going to tear down and turn into... I don't know what, maybe a health center or something, and there's plenty of vacant storefronts. And yeah, you could probably get a house kind of cheap here if you were inclined to do something like that. But Rochester keeps chugging along, you know. They've also got the uh, the new minor league soccer team. I don't know if that's really a thing, a minor league soccer team. But I was watching the news today, and it seemed like there was some sort of new soccer team in town, minor league or otherwise. And they've got their stuff, you know, they're they're doing all right. It's uh it's kind of a pleasure to be here out on the road performing comedy, particularly after so long during the pandemic, without performing comedy. And comedy is one of those things that I have a kind of love hate relationship with. There'll be periods where I really enjoy what I'm doing and periods where I'm just like, what am I doing? Another town, another half-filled room, another stale Diet Coke. 
But then there's times like now where I feel like, hey, you know what? I'm doing a good job. I'm out here telling good jokes, giving folks their money's worth, making them laugh, making them forget for a moment that they're in Rochester, New York, you know? Good for me. And uh, I know the two comics I'm working with are doing a nice job. One is named Luke Dyers, I think his name is pronounced, and one is named Sarah Shipley. They do a nice job. Both locals to Rochester, both trying to make it in the comedy game. Both of them working on their jokes before the show last night, always heartening to see, working on their craft, talking seriously about it while I'm scrolling Twitter. Nice to see, you know. Each day in uh, Savannah, Georgia, has been both good and bad. Good because March seems to be the most pleasant month there in the Deep South. Just uh, just terrific weather when you get up and you walk outside, and it just feels like just feels like you imagine spring feels when you think about spring. Um, too often in Connecticut, we'd be waiting for spring in in. Well, you wouldn't expect it in March. March, you're not going to get a spring day. April, you're kind of waiting. You're sort of like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. There's going to, oh, there's going to be a fine spring day sometime this month. And then April ends and you're like, I thought it was going to go out like a lamb. I thought April was going to, March was going to go out like a lamb and April showers would bring May flowers. And then May comes and you might get a couple of days here and there and uh, but a lot of times it's kind of gloomy, and and uh, you might you might you might get a you might get a stretch of spring there in May, and then the next thing you know it's June, and then and and uh, last year I, I recall in Connecticut all Martha was doing was complaining about the weather in June, the June gloom, which is what they call it in L.A. when it's gray and overcast all through June. Well, we seemed to have been experiencing that in Connecticut, and so it's in it's felt like we never quite got a spring, and then it was July and terrible. But Savannah, you know, you get into March and, geez, every day just seems nicer than the next. Now, I know the heat and torpor is coming. I know there's going to be plenty of torpor in my future. But for now, it's quite nice. And that's the good part of Savannah. You know, you get up, you get on your bicycle, you you poke around, you know, you take a walk, you do whatever. But then, if you're me, and if you're not, consider yourselves lucky, if you're me, what happens is... You uh, you get back into the house, having been outside, and you look around, and you think to yourself, as the construction workers are hammering away at some damn thing or another, you think to yourself, well, now what? You know, it's it's maybe ten o'clock in the morning, and you've run an errand, and you and you come back into the house, and you think, well, now what? And that's been the bad part. Now, look, I would have had that bad part in Connecticut too that bad part of endless days stretching before me without any real task at hand. But I, I think I was more comfortable with my uh, unemployment in Connecticut than I am in Savannah. There's just a quiet desperation just bubbling up below the surface, and every now and again it, it comes out with a deep sigh or an extended yawn, 
this feeling of now what? The 50s, and now I'm speaking of the decade uh, of my age and not of the decade of the previous century. The 50s has not been kind to the men in, uh, well, to men, it seems like, in, in my immediate circle. I'm thinking now of um, a close relative who, his 50s came and suddenly the industry in which he worked kind of disappeared. I'm thinking of another close relative who in his 50s decided to start his own business and the business failed and he never really recovered. Uh, I'm thinking about all sorts of guys that I know in their 50s who find themselves a little bit adrift. And I worry that now I am a 50-year-old man and, and the curse of that decade may be upon me. Well, I don't know if the, if the decade itself is a curse, but it seems to be in my immediate circle of friends and family. And I find that concerning as I pedal my bike around Savannah and come back and look at my house, my haunted mansion, and think to myself, well, now what? It's difficult. It's difficult to be, uh, you know, contemplating the grocery store receipt and looking at, uh, you know, oh, how much money did I save today buying X and X and Y, you know, because I put in my little grocery card uh, 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 coupon thing and it, and, it, and it reads off the scanner and it says, oh, this is how much money you save. And thinking to myself as I'm looking at those numbers, gee, is that, is that going to... Is that a significant amount? Is that going to matter to me? And thinking, maybe it will. Maybe it will. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Finances in, in one's 50s seem to be precarious is what I'm saying. And then I try to think, well, if, if I didn't have to do anything, you know, if I could just sort of coast on through for the rest of my life, how would that be? If I could sort of retire now at age 50, how would that be? Would I be all right with that? If when I came back from pedaling around Savannah at 10 o'clock in the morning and came into my half-constructed home and said, now what? But I could remove from that question the financial anxiety and just was like, well, I'm retired, that's what. How would that be? I wonder how many of you, you know, are thinking about or asking yourselves that same question of now what? Now what? Now what? I suspect that question is an eternal question. It's a kind of, it's a lifetime question. And maybe it has something to do with the human need for story. I mean, that's why we're all here on this podcast anyway. Not, I don't mean here in an existential way. I, I mean on this podcast. That's why we're all here the human need for story. And what is story after all but the question, now what? Put onto page. Now what? It is every character in every story ever written. And there is no answer. And I suppose that's a good thing. I suppose if we knew the answer... Well, we wouldn't come back for stories, for one thing. And two, we might not come back for life. It is now what that puts a little pep in our step, doesn't it? It gives us purpose. It gives us something for which to strive. In my own case right now, the answer seems to be so ineffable as to be unanswerable entirely. I don't know the answer. And I think that's part of my anxiety. And part of the reason I'm happy to be out on the road, uh, actually, is because when I know there's a date, a, a weekend of dates coming up, you know, or, or I'm going to Rochester this weekend, even though you think to yourself, ah, oh, shit, it's Rochester, you think, well, there's an answer to the question. Now what? Now what is you get your ass on a plane and you go to Rochester and you do five shows and you make, a, you make a little coin, and you hopefully some people have a good time. And then you return, and you look ahead to the next weekend where, or, or two when, when you have some shows coming up. Now what? It gives, you, it gives you some purpose and direction. But it doesn't feel like quite enough. That's the problem. Because there are many, many days where there is no show. There are many, many days where there's just... A kind of, kind of empty expanse. And I've tried writing. Because after all, I am a professional writer, New York Times bestselling author. One week, number 17, on the New York Times expanded list. And uh, feeling so little inspiration or desire to write. feeling so little inspiration or desire to do much of anything, and yet, 
finding myself bumping headlong into that two-word question, now what? Martha, I know, is feeling the same. She is trying to find some sort of employment for herself. She is an interior designer by training and trade and is trying to figure out if she is going to open up her own shoppy, uh, well, I don't mean shop, I don't mean like a retail shop, I mean, where she's going to, you know, hang out her shingle and be like, hey, I'm here, I'm in Savannah, I'm, I'm open for interior design work, or if she's going to go work for somebody else, or, or what she's going to do, but her energy and attention has been so focused on getting the house in order, which after all is, of course, interior design, it's just not the kind that pays, it is the kind that you pay. She is paying or more precisely, we are paying. But now that work is finally, at long last, seven, eight months after it began, coming to some sort of conclusion. And she is thinking more seriously about her own future in Savannah, which is great. But there is a kind of unwinding, I feel like, that's taking place in me. You know, I was tightly wound for a long time as a, as a kid, as a young adult, as, an, as, a, as, a, as a proper adult. And I feel like I'm becoming unwound. There's just, there's less ticking in my clock. I don't mean from a mortality point of view, although that's certainly true, but I, I just mean that I, I, I just feel less inclined to race around and make stuff, do stuff. But there's still, you know, there's still that, there's still that creative spark. just a little quieter, I think, than it used to be. The ticking a little less tick-tocky than maybe it once was. That's neither good nor bad, by the way. I don't, I don't mourn the, uh, the, the, the intensity of that ticking. If anything, the sound drove me to distraction earlier in my life. Maybe you have experienced this as well, that sense of, uh, well, I, I keep thinking of Hamilton. Why do you write like you're running out of time? Why do you write like you're running out of time? Young man like Alexander Hamilton running around, writing Federalist papers left and right, you know, setting up banks, doing whatever he was doing. I understand, I understand that. Obviously, I wasn't uh, as accomplished as Alexander Hamilton was, nor do I expect to be, but I understand that impulse, and I suspect many of you do too, that running around, writing like you're running out of time, whatever form of activity writing represents to you. And I suppose it is only to be expected that as you get a little older, yeah, you become a little unwound in the sense of 
Your ticking starts to slow and quiet. There's something joyful about it, too, I have to say. There's something joyful about feeling like you can pedal around the streets of Savannah and look around and such and smell the roses. Uh, now, in Savannah, you might also smell the, um, the paper factory, which is not a great smell. I don't know if I've described it on here before, but it, to me, it smells like a hot pocket that's kind of gone bad. Like maybe somebody put a hot pocket in the microwave, you know, and overcooked it and then forgot about it. And three days later, you come into the kitchen, you're like, what's that? What is that? Did somebody leave a hot pocket in the microwave? And the answer is yes. And that's, what, and, and that's, that's the smell that the, uh, that the paper factory produces, and it wafts into Savannah and wafts back out. It's not necessarily bad, although it's certainly not good. It's just a very specific Savannian odor. So you may stop to smell whatever flowers are in bloom. And here in, in March, uh, there's plenty of flowers in bloom. I can't name any of them because I don't know the names of flowers. Um, or you might stop to smell the paper factory. But regardless, you're sticking your nose up to the air and you're taking a sniff because you have time and the inclination to pause and look around and take a moment to be at peace with the world. And I definitely feel that. And I never felt that as a younger man. Just, you know, too busy trying to do stuff. Also, the competitiveness has ebbed. That's another blessing of getting older. The competition I have felt with everybody seems to have abated somewhat, not entirely, but somewhat. And I feel like I can be happy for other people's successes. Not entirely, of course. One can never be entirely happy for another person. I mean, my goodness, what am I, a saint? No. But one can understand another's success without having it necessarily seem like uh, a condemnation of you, which was not always the case in my life. Savannah, Georgia, you know, I complained a lot about it when, when I first arrived. Uh, for good reason. It was hot and there were roaches. But it's, I, I'm starting to turn the corner on the place, I think, a little bit. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasant city. And there is something, I, you know, I, I don't, don't want to say I know anything about the South because I don't. But there is something, you know, a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit slower about the South. Uh, and I don't, I, I, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense at all, but it is just a little bit slower in a good way. Um, it is just a little bit more contemplative might be too strong a word. 
because I don't know that there is a lot of contemplation on hand, or certainly no more than any place else. But there is a pace that I kind of like in Savannah, where people stroll, you know? It's a strolling city because there's a lot for the eye to catch. The cars, by necessity, must drive more slowly because the streets are narrow and they go around squares, and so it forces the motor traffic to drive at a, at a much slower rate. There's horses and carriages on the streets because they give tours. There's bicyclists, there's people on segways, and there's a lot of strollers, as I said, tourists looking around, holding hands, wedding parties, tour groups, etc. At least in my little part of Savannah, that's where all that stuff is. And it's, and it's quite nice. Martha calls it life-affirming because it's a city filled with weddings. Always weddings going on in Savannah. You'll, you'll be walking around on a Saturday and you might pass two or three different wedding parties getting their pictures taken. Or you might pass on a Friday night five or six different bridal parties, you know, stumbling through the, through the city streets, carousing. A lot of doggies, you know, life-affirming stuff. And there's something really pleasant about that. And, and I'm not somebody necessarily uh, built for pleasant as a concept, and yet I find myself enjoying it. Yeah, you stroll down to the river. I got a river in my city, you know, and you can stroll down there and watch cargo ships pass by. I don't know if you've ever gotten up close to a cargo ship, but it's just a fantastic sight. Enormous, enormous leviathans swimming down the river, themselves kind of strolling because the river is narrow and they have to be accompanied by little tugboats that push them out into the ocean. But they're just these massive, massive vehicles piled high with goods from all over the world. And they sort of slither by the river walk. And you feel like they're just, they're close enough that you could reach out and touch them. Incredible, incredible things to see, to behold. Now I know the summer is coming and that may be the only thing that is keeping me from fully embracing my new hometown. The summer is coming and I dread it. Uh, ironically, I don't know if it's ironic, coincidentally, no. Tangentially, maybe, I don't know. But as much as I uh, dislike the heat, uh, I've been going to this gym down in uh, near where I live and they've got a sauna and part of the reason I joined the gym is because they have a sauna I love a sauna most mornings you will find me sitting in that sauna for about half an hour at a time hot hot sauna you know you get that thing going and man you really you really feel it but I wonder whether my sauna training over the past low these many months 
will have prepared me for this summer. I doubt it. I really doubt it. Because, of course, the sauna is that, that dry sauna heat and, and uh, summertime in the south is that hot, humid heat. Both produce rivulets of sweat on the person. But one feels inescapable. The other, you just push open a door and you're released from it. So there is that dread of summer approaching. But maybe, you know, the blood thins and you get kind of used to it. I don't know. The people down there don't really seem to complain too much about it. They don't seem to live in the same sort of fear of it that I do. Because they're used to it, you know. But that's another, that's another uh, potential answer to that question. Now what? The answer is summer. And the feeling is dread. It's a little bit scary when you think about it, if you're me and you're a big baby about the heat, which I am. Our backyard has been finished. Uh, Took about three weeks. We had a landscape company come in and basically delete what was there and do some replanting and fixing of hardscaping. And we had a little pool that got filled in because we couldn't afford to fix it. And you almost want to spend time out there in the backyard now. It looks so pleasant. You almost want to just be out there, which is a, a nice change. So, yeah, Rochester, New York which uh, I look out my window from my mid-priced hotel. It's gray. It's overcast. It is the first day of spring here in Rochester. And uh, I am under covers, laying in a hotel bed, contemplating what now, now what? And that is my little check-in from Rochester, a little obscure supplemental episode as we cleanse the palate. I know the audio isn't as good on this episode. I apologize. I don't have the proper audio equipment with me. We're stumbling through, all of us, each and every one, raising the question and trying our damnedest to answer it. Uh, And we'll be back next week. Back to the book, paging through, seeing what's up with that rascal Heathcliff on another anticipatory episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu.